you have to understand that before coming here, I was in a Baptist church. And when it's meet and greet time, like that's 20 more minutes I have to come up here. Because all of a sudden, people who have not talked in months, now is the time they need to catch up with each other. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to, to grab it, open to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. This short, brief letter that Paul sends his churches is an encouraging one. There, there's definitely difficulties and things that the church is facing both outside and within But overall, this is a very encouraging letter, and some of it is because of the people who are part of this church, and that's what we're going to look at here this morning. And We turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul writes these words, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphras. I knew I was going to mess this one up. Now I've got it all messed up in my head. I'm not going to say it the right way. Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul begins this letter with an introduction that has a thanksgiving and a prayer, and then he goes right into, if you will, a mission report. He's saying, here's what's going on. I I know you've heard I'm in jail. Here's the circumstances. Here's what's going. God is even using this situation for the gospel to go forth. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. He hints at that again. I I want to keep Timothy here until I know what's going to happen. And then I'll send him towards you. But I'm going to honor Christ in all things. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then Paul transitions after this report into some some teaching. In verse 27 of chapter 1, you kind of see the transition there. He's encouraging them to think about their character as they interact in the world around them and also their character as they're together. They're to be of one mind. They're not to do things from selfish ambition. They're to look at Christ and his humble example and seek to follow after that. And then they're to work out their salvation. And then Paul jumps here to this text to talking about these two guys. And it seems like he's, okay, 
report, teaching, report? Like, is he kind of going back and forth, a rabbit trail? These two men are part of the ministry update. They are serving, they are working alongside him, but they also function as examples of the character that Paul has been instructing the church as a whole, starting in verse 27 of chapter 1. He's talking about people who aren't selfish. He's talking about people who are, are about the, the church together, growing and maturing. He's talking about people who are a great example. And then he happens to have two of them serving with him for this church to look at. And so this morning, I pray that we, Midland Free, would be challenged to be a body of humble servants who are examples of gospel-guided Christ-centered lives for others to emulate. That's my prayer, that we would, we would grow in this. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Well, God, the reality is you are far greater than we can even imagine. But in your loving kindness, in your holy, holy, holy difference. You chose to save. So Lord, if we are redeemed, if we are saved, if we are ones who place our hope in you, I ask that you would, by the power of your spirit dwelling in us, change us. Help us to be examples Help us to look at Christ and want to emulate that in every aspect of our life. Let us be so gospel-centric, so Christ-filled that our words, our deeds, our conversations, our, our choices are all directed by what would give you glory. Grow us in these things, Lord. Help us to come to this word and be encouraged, knowing that these two men that we are going to look at this morning are human beings. There's nothing special about them. They are just like us. The special thing is what you have done in them and for them. And we have the same access to you for that power as they do. So we come again to you, Lord. With open hearts, fill us, please. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we get to these two gentlemen, before we get to Timothy and Epaphrodus, there's a brief remark here, there's an indictment. Paul gives an indictment to the church And so we need to kind of look at the bad news before we can get to the good news. Paul gives this indictment of the church, and it's an indictment of the self-centered church. If you have your Bible, look here at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, speaking of Timothy, for I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your, the Philippian church, for your welfare. Why? For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's a sad state of a church, isn't it? 
I mean, Paul is in, likely he's in Rome, he's in prison, but there's a church in Rome. There's, there's other Christians there, and there's a church in Philippi, and he wants to send a message to them. He wants to check in on them, and he looks around, and he's like, all I got is Timothy. That's a sad state. Paul is indicting able-bodied Christian men. Why do I say that? Well, Philippi is 800 miles away. And you would not send women on a journey for this purpose because it's not a safe journey. It's not an easy journey. It's one that was filled with with trials. You're also not going to send the aged population of your church because, again, it's not not an easy journey. You're not going to jump into your air-conditioned car and drive the 800 miles. And I've been in Midland long enough to know you guys don't like driving further than 10 minutes. You're like, oh, that's more than 10 minutes. Uh." Can you imagine walking 800 miles? He is talking to able-bodied men. Look, you know who the faith, you know who Christ is, you know the faith. These are brothers and sisters. I want you to go. And I look around and I say, I don't have anybody who is willing to do that. Why? Because they're so focused on themselves. I don't think it's poor exegesis here for me to take this verse and step back a little bit and say, all of us, men and women, old and young, all of us need to be on guard for that self-centered spirituality, that me-focused faith. We live in a very modern, very comfortable Western church culture. We are inward focused. We are comfort seeking. We are a people who approach things with us at the center of every decision. Why did you pick this church to come to? Were you at the center of all of those questions? Right? Think about that. Like, I'm, maybe I go to this church because they have my style of music, whatever style that is. We live in a world, right? I, I know some, a lot of you are older than I am, but... You know, when it came to music, the only choices you had was whatever came through the radio. You don't have Spotify where you can literally find a Celtic metal polka playlist. I'm not kidding. I searched it. I found it. I was listening to it while I was preparing the sermon. We, we, you know, like... We, we put ourselves at the center. Do we go to this church or do we go to this ministry because they have an awesome children's ministry? Because God forbid our kids see us worshiping the Lord and sitting, hearing his teaching. Do we pick a church based on the status it has in the community? Is that the cool church? Is that the, the, the church that has all the, the movers and shakers? It's scary how easy the gospel and and, and our faith gets so contorted so that it becomes more about us than about the one who saves us. Self-centered, me-centered people, churches that are producing those types of, I'm putting in quotes, Christians, aren't actually producing Christians because Christians are Christ-centered 
They die to self and live for him. Faithful Christians look at the example of Christ. Faithful Christians think of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? So that by his death, by his resurrection, I can be saved. I can be changed. I can be made a new creature who has a different priorities, different goals, different desires, and I'm seeking after those things first. I'm putting to death the old things. I'm walking away from that. I'm new. But too often we come and say, How can I slap on the Jesus band-aid? We have to be careful. Paul is indicting the self-centered church because it doesn't glorify God. It's pursuing the world. There are too many churches that are really about worshiping the world and yourself. Yeah, they couch it in Christianese language. It sounds godly, but it really is man-centered. Friends, we have to repent of this. We have to put it off. We have to fight it. We have to stop being so self-absorbed in our pursuits of life and the pursuit of comfort and the pursuit of everything. Stop putting ourselves first. We have to fight against the, 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 the propagating cheap gospel, shallow faith, easy, easy believism that is being propagated by so many Put it in quotes here again. Churches. Houses of worship. They're worshiping something, but it might not be the Lord. Paul indicts that kind of church. Those kinds of people. It's really hard to say, I will honor Christ in my life. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain when your only concern is your own interest and not the interest of Christ. Here's a little bit of a litmus test. Is the end goal what Jesus can get you or is it Jesus? If you were to look at the marks of your life, would they be any different than the marks of the non-believer? Praise the Lord for his grace. Because even when we fall short in this, it's sufficient to cover even over that sin and to change our hearts. But let us also praise the Lord that even though we fall short in this, God has graciously given us other people. God has given us examples to emulate. Paul's saying there's these people here, there's a problem, but then he holds up two men who are examples of what he was teaching, who are living contra those who seek their own interests. Praise God that we have examples to emulate. To emulate something or someone is to equal or to exceed them by way of imitation. And so Paul raises up these two brothers and he holds them up to the church at Philippi. And in a way, he's holding them up to us here today in Midland. One he calls son and the other he calls a brother. Look at the description of Timothy. Paul says he is genuinely concerned for the Philippians welfare. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about them. What what can I do to help you? 
Where's your needs? Here's what you need to understand. Where are you struggling? Here, let me come alongside and, and aid you. He is genuinely concerned for their well-being. And then Paul goes on and he says that Timothy's character is just solid. He has proven his worth. He's been helpful. He's been youthful, uh, useful. He's consistent. He has endurance. There's an interesting character who Timothy knows. There's this man named Demas who travels around with Paul and likely at a couple situations, he's also Timothy's part of that party. He's with Paul and he's going and Demas is working with Paul. But then eventually, interesting enough, Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, hey, remember Demas? He loves the world and so he deserted me. He became self-centered. He became me-focused. But Timothy, Paul trusts Timothy. Paul's a, a beloved disciple. He's a spiritual son. And you see that. His character matches Paul's. Paul has this love for this church. He wants what's right and good for this church. And then Paul writes of Timothy. Timothy genuinely cares about your well-being. He has the same passion that his spiritual father has. It's almost as if Paul modeled the very thing that he wants Timothy to model. It's likely some of the reason Paul invites Timothy to join him in Acts 16 is Timothy is showing, even when Paul first meets him, this characteristic, these traits of one who is living for the Lord. And Paul says, I would love for you to join and partner with me in this mission. But Paul is not, excuse me, Timothy is not the only one. Paul lifts up Epaphrodite. I don't know why I can't say this word. Literally every time I did it, even this morning, I had no problem. We're just going to call him E. That's his nickname. That's what Timothy called him. If you're in my family, that would be your name. So Paul praises him. This man that was sent by the Philippians to carry this information, right? That the, the Philippian church says, hey, we want to help minister to Paul. Here's, here's some funds. We trust you. You're trustworthy. Take these funds and, and bring them to Paul. And it seems to also imply here that he wasn't just to bring the money and say, hey, how's things going? And then turn around and go back to Philippi. He was supposed to stay there. He's supposed to help work and, and minister alongside Paul. What that looks like, we don't exactly know. But this man was trustworthy already. At some point, Epaphroditus becomes gravely ill to the point of death. Paul says, but God had mercy on him and he was spared the grave. You have to understand at this time, many sicknesses led to death. And they didn't have penicillin. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have all of these things. 
the people somehow heard that he was ill. Maybe as he was traveling one way, someone was traveling the other way and they, they saw and he said, hey, I'm not feeling super great. And you know, they continued on and said, hey, I saw him on the way back and he wasn't doing well. Or, or maybe someone who was in Rome is already traveling for work or whatever the case is. And they hear that he's not doing well. And there's concern there. Why? Because they love him. And he loves them. Maybe there was also a concern because this is a, a, an honor culture thing. We sent you to help him. And if you're over there puking and not helping Paul, that's not really helpful. That's a burden on Paul. And that looks bad on us because you're not making us look good. That could be some of their, that there too. I don't think this is the case, but some people think maybe there was concern that if they heard he was sick, maybe he just abandoned it and now he's spending the money somewhere else. So Paul is not just sending them back, but also reminding them like he should be raised up as one who is honored. Why? Because he was faithful. He was helpful. The reality is we would know next to nothing about this man if it was not for a few sentences in this brief letter. But even if you never heard his name before, it would not undermine that Paul calls him a brother. Paul calls him a a co-laborer, a fellow worker, right? He is laboring for the gospel. He calls him a fellow soldier, like, you know, brothers in arms. He's a messenger. Literally, the word would be translated apostle. He's a minister. He loves the church. Verse 26, Paul says, he's longing for you all. That can't be a bad thing because Paul says the very same thing in chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, I yearn for you all. I don't think he's homesick. I think his heart is knit to those people. This morning, I, I was text messaging a brother of mine from the church that we were at in St. Joe, and, and I, I, I long for my brother. I, I want to know he's okay. I want to I know he's doing well this morning. I want to pray with him as he was getting ready to, to do his portion of the worship service. The amazing thing is, as soon as I text him, he replied instantly saying, hey, I was thinking of you. I was te- in the middle of texting you. I think that's really what's happening. I don't think he's homesick like, oh man, I wish I had this in my own bed. I think he's like, I miss those people. That's my family. I want what's good for them. I want what's best for them. And Paul says, this is a good thing. Paul also says he should be lifted up because even though he faced adversity, he persevered. He didn't abandon the work just because he had a tummy ache. Again, think of the world we live in now. People don't show up to a heated, air-conditioned church building because it's raining outside. Notice it's all quiet on that one. Right? Well, it's raining. We are so about comfort. And Paul is saying, look at the example of this man. Even in his sickness, he still was trying to serve. Even in these challenges, he still came. He is faithful. He is good. He is one that you should praise. These men labor diligently. 
in two different ways. Timothy likely up, up front, right? Like maybe as a pastor or, or an elder in that kind of capacity, while the other was more behind the scenes. Yet who does Paul praise more? It's the same. So whether you are an upfront person or you are a behind the scenes person, it doesn't matter if you are the pastor or you help set up or take down chairs. It doesn't matter if you are in a quote unquote important job and, or you just faithfully show up when there is a brother and sister in need. All who are faithful to labor in the ministry of Christ should be praised. Paul holds up these two men and he says they are valuable and they should be emulated. They should be imitated. And we, we should look at these two and we should think the same thing. I want to be like them. Who are those people here? It'd be an error. I, I don't know how else to say it. It'd be a grave error. If we as a church, when we are looking at people to emulate, we only think of the people who stand up on this platform. Because there are godly women and godly men in this church who have so much to offer you. And they will never be on this platform. But you will find them serving. You will find them speaking the gospel to others. You will find them giving wise counsel to other people all over the place. Open your eyes. Who are those people in this church? Who are the ones that God is setting around you to emulate? We should praise God for the silver-haired folks. And some of you maybe don't have silver hair because you don't have any hair or some of you maybe are blessed that you just keep that color hair and you just have flakes of silver or whatever. But what I mean is praise God for those older people who are in the church, those ones who have walked that life before you, those ones who have faced those challenges. I'm talking to you younger parents who are thinking, I don't know how we're going to keep these kids alive another day. Look around because there are people here who have done it and have thought the very same thing. And there are some of you who are going through sickness right now and you're thinking, there's no hope. The doctors don't know what to do. There's no hope. They don't seem to be able to find what's wrong with me. There are other brothers and sisters in the faith who have been in that same circumstance and maybe still are today. And they've suffered through 20 years of sickness. And you're just going through year two. Find those people. If you don't have one of those people in your life, and maybe that's different. It might change over time. Seek them out. Who has God placed in your proximity? And I want to say to you who are older, or maybe those people, who are you doing that to? Who are you showing? Let me walk life together so that you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that leads us to this next challenge. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you claim to put your hope in in Jesus, and you want, to, you want to make much of his name, if you're trying to be conformed into his image, 
all of us want to continue to grow as an example to be emulated. Are you growing? God has given the church, the church. You say, hey, that's redundant. That doesn't make sense. No, I, what I'm saying is God has given you the church. He's given you the church, other people in the church. Why? Because we need one another. Before we can accomplish being an example for others to emulate, we need to ask the question, how? How did these two gentlemen put off the self-centered, me-centric faith that some of the other people, at least in the area where Paul was at that time, were, were, were living? These two men, it might seem simple, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it all the time, because it's really the foundation of all of what we are. These two men were able to do that because they were saved. Genuinely, fully, completely saved. They didn't just think Jesus sounds like a good idea. They didn't just, I really like forgiveness and I really don't want to be in hell. So sure, I believe in Jesus. They didn't just affirm intellectually that he was a guy who lived at this time and he died and then he was in a, in a grave, in a tomb, and three days later he rose. He didn't, they don't just, okay, I, I get that, I understand it. They believed it. They, they surrendered their whole life to it and that changed them. So maybe if you're not seeing this change in your life, I encourage you to, to really dig deep from the depths of your heart, do you really believe? Not just affirm facts, but do you really believe them? These men were saved. They saw their limitations. They saw their need for a savior. For them, their hope was Jesus They admired him, and we often imitate the people we admire. They loved him, and they wanted to be conformed into his image. He wasn't an addition to their life. He was their life. How else do we grow as people to be emulated? These two men, we know for a fact, Timothy, so maybe I'm reading a little bit in the text here, but these two men had disciples, excuse me, disciplers. They had other people pouring into their life. Paul writes later on, we're gonna get to it in just a a little bit here, but in Philippians chapter three, verse 17, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. How? And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's basically saying, be imitators of me. Well, they can't always be with Paul. And so Paul is saying, be imitators of ones who are imitators of me, who are all of us as we are trying to be imitators of Christ. Here's the thing I think is amazing. The person carrying this letter to this church is the guy they sent. He's saying, look at them. So I say to all of us, if we want to grow as examples who are who are worthy to be emulated as we seek after Christ, I want to challenge you, find godly men and women. Being a disciple, 
Emulating an older man or woman is not an optional accessory of the Christian life. It is a necessity. Having a Paul, having a Timothy, having a Lydia, having a Steve, having a Melissa, having a Tom, having a Carol, having one who can watch over you as you watch them. And say, man, how do you do this? Or help me to understand how to read the word better. How do you handle these situations that are so stressful? I see you doing it and I want to learn from you. But opening your life up to someone like that is also opening your life up to someone who might say, hey, there's a problem here. There's something that you're not holding accountable to the Lord. Earlier in the the worship service, we read from Timothy 2, where older men and older women are instructed to teach and train. But they're also instructed to just be examples Let me say this to you. If you're an older person, if you are asked after this service or sometime in the future by someone who comes up to you and says, will you disciple me? Will will you mentor me? Will you be the example for me to follow? Please don't laugh it off. Don't, 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 Don't cast it away. They've seen something in you. Instead, humbly accept it. No, like, hey, am I perfect? No. But also be prepared because they are going to grow you as much as you grow them. Which is a good thing because as you grow, you become a better image bearer of Christ. Who could better help them grow. If you are a person, you look at your life and you're thinking, man, I need that. I want that. Please be bold enough to go find someone who you have seen is good at emulating the characteristics that Paul is saying here and say, hey, I need your help. How else do we grow as being examples that can be emulated? Well, to do this, we need to be proactive in filling our life with the word of God. If you have a Bible, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter six. It's a super well-known passage. And I want to point out that sometimes people check out here because it talks about children and they think, well, I'm not a parent, but this is written to the community. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And in verse six, Deuteronomy chapter six And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. They should dwell here. If they're in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth, right? Because what we speak is the outflow of our hearts. It's also in our hearts. It's going to control all that we do. And that's what he goes on. He says, you should teach them diligently to your children. Isn't it interesting that Paul calls Timothy his spiritual son? Your children might be grown and God has more children for you. For you to disciple, to mentor. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's basically saying the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Be about the word. 
Please don't think, well, I'm not a great teacher, so I can disregard this. You're teaching all the time. You teach by an example. Your life is a picture. Yes, it's imperfect, but it's still a picture. The Christian life was never meant to be a solo race. We need others. We need the others who have gone before us. We need others who have grown in their faith. We need others who are maturing. We need others who have walked this battle of life before us that we might follow after them. But also so that we can grow so that those behind us can seek us and become emulators of our life as we seek to be imitators of Christ. Praise God for regular human beings who trust in the Lord and give us glimpses of what it means to follow after him and to live for him instead of self, regardless of the circumstances. Those people are here in this church. Seek them out. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us when instead of seeking you, we seek ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, when we can pursue comfort over pursuing being conformed into the image your beloved son forgive us Lord when we take the shortcut the easier way instead of being diligent to to fill our our life with your word to to fill our lives with your truth so that others can look to us and see you better when I ask that you would embolden us help us to be examples whether that's to our biological children or to spiritual children that you have for us. Help us to be examples even to our peers, to brothers and sisters in the faith who are maybe in the same spot, but in some area we, 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 we are trusting, we are living where they are struggling. Lord, we praise your name for the church that you have gathered people together because we need one another to grow. Pray all of this, not so that our name would be praised, not that our name would be exalted, but that yours would be. Because we don't do any of this for ourselves. We do it that the name of Jesus would ring forth as the true joy, the true hope, and the only means of life forever and ever. We pray this in his name.